Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, guys. Popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. I feel like these days, these days of the world is like... We always need stress relief, you know? Like, I just cannot push that enough. And we also need... can't stress it enough. I can't. You can't. You really can't. So, obviously, we know that I need stress relief from my neighbor, who is a yodeling king, unproclaimed, tone-deaf maestro art of the arts and the vocal cords. And completely oblivious to work from home. Totally oblivious, has no (laughs) idea of any semblance of reality, obviously causing lots of stress on my end. And you know, I need relief. You need relief. We need relief. We also need sleep support after this strenuous experience that constantly subjected to, as well as a mood booster, some recovery. And you know what? Like, I know it's like not quite related but also good skincare but you know if you get stressed then your skin goes to shit so here we are 100 percent, i can attest (laughs) it's you know it's the struggle that has plagued us all but nonetheless one of our favorite brands which you guys know by heart at this point prima is obviously here to solve it all they have also been recently selected as one of sephora's 10 brands that meet their rigorous clean standards by priding themselves on sustainable farming being carbon neutral, being 100% clean with strict safety standards, like so many amazing things. And here's the, here's the kicker. This is what I freaking love about them even more than all the other things is for every product sold, Prima removes twice as much plastic waste from the environment and they give 1% annually to nonprofit organizations. Oh, and here's the other thing. They're also a certified B Corp. So literally all the reasons we wanted to partner with Prima and bring them to you all along with, of course, all of the incredible products and also like products that are backed by some pretty great points here. Indeed. Um, as you know, if you honestly, if you know this part, I would like love everyone to sing along. Prima has amazing doctor formulated, <laughs> clinically validated, high performance CBD products for the skin, body and mind. And in so many forms, they have CBD supplements like the daily to bath bombs, body lotions, body oils and skincare. Shout out to Night Magic, my favorite, their night oil for your face. Both Vogue and I swear by it. So that's how you know it's good. But we also want to give a shout out to Prima because they are currently pushing out a petition that is working to declassify CBD as shaft content, which basically means that content is pertaining to sex, hate, alcohol, firearms, and tobacco, despite CBD being just 
a complete wellness aid with no intoxicating effects. It is unfortunately being lumped into what is considered shaft content. So join us by signing and sharing their petition today that is in the description for this episode. So go check it out. And of course, as always, lucky for us, you can enjoy the relief of CBD as well because Prima is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time 15% off offer with the code GIRLGOV. So head to Prima.co. Everyone sing along. Feel better. Look glowy. Every day. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. (laughs) Because politics needed a (laughs) rebrand. Welcome back to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, happy Wolf's Day, if you're hearing any of the barking on my street. It seems to be a busy one out there. Let me tell you, I mean, if anyone's trying to say New York's dead, I can definitely say that ain't true. I mean, honestly, I'm glad you raised that point, because while while editing this interview for today, there are quite a few sirens in the background, so I honestly wanted to give a disclaimer anyways to everyone listening. You are not getting pulled over. They are not coming for you. It is just it is just our, you know, sweet little New York City in the background of Sam's audio. So it's all right. You guys are disclaimer. All so welcome. Like you're like probably I, you know, just want the New York experience, you know, really see what the big apple's all about. You know, we're bringing that to you live in the form of sirens, yeah. discussions with our friend Amanda at City and State on trash. And the piles. piles. The piles. The heaps. The (laughs) The mountains. I honestly, every time I go by, like every time it's Monday, I guess that's the trash day around here, I like measure it against my height. Like I'm always like, oh, are they trying to beat me today? Is it? (laughs) Well, they probably do. They probably do every day. Almost every time. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, guys, look at this. This is what we call engineering. Okay. Welcome to New York. It's been waiting for you. Taylor, how are you doing over there? It's me. It's Taylor. It's fine. Speaking of celeb gossip, just before we get into this, can we talk about the non-showering celeb thing going on right now? I what? Apparently, Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher don't shower their kids very often. Same with Kristen Bell. Don't shower their kids? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, they're like, we don't shower them till they get dirty. Hmm. No, actual jail time, though, for parents choosing not to wash their kids. I mean, I get it if they're just, like, too hard to get into the shower. And totally. It's, like, it's tough. I get that. But to be like, eh, once they're dirty enough, we'll It's just because I find them we'll so hose them down. stinky. And they put their hands in everything and every crevice. And then they touch everything. They don't have, like, BO, though. I don't that's think fair. Have like that's BO fair. Or that's like a puberty thing for sure. Yeah. It's not necessarily, it's not the smell for me. It's the germs that they like embroil themselves well, in. Well, I guess I like, get that as a parent, like, because it also helps their immune system. Oh, you know what? That's a good point. Yeah. That's Especially a good in point. these COVID days, you know, maybe they need to try and like boost the immune system even more because they were so quarantined for so long. This is Just interesting. This, this took a turn. This took yeah. a turn. <laughs> But I guess yeah. we should take a turn into talking about our guest. Okay. So, you guys, we are going to a state we have yet to go to. 
well, we now officially have, but previously on the show, and that state is Louisiana. Virtually. Virtually. Louisiana. Although we... I have yet to go to Louisiana. I want to go to New Orleans so bad. Mardi Gras. Me too. Me too. It looks so fun. The architecture looks so cool. Like, the food looks phenomenal. Oh my god, I love love Cajun. Cajun food. So good. Like, put Cajun spicing on anything, I will absolutely eat it. Beignets? Oh my god. Anyways, our guest. Good (laughs) lord. (laughs) But, our guest of honor is state representative Mandy Landry, and she is from Louisiana. She's from District 91. And... This is such an exciting conversation for so many reasons besides that Mandy is an absolute boss bitch and we love her. 100%. Like literally retweet all day, but also because she gave us such an interesting 411 and background on what it's like to be pro-choice in a red state. For those of you that aren't as familiar with Louisiana and we're still learning and growing and obviously are excited to hear if any if we have any Louisiana listeners, any feedback from living in Louisiana as well. DM us. Yeah, DM us, let us know, send us an email. We are all here for it. But Louisiana is a pretty, pretty red state, pretty Republican, pretty anti-choice. So hearing this perspective is particularly, honestly, eye-opening in so many ways. And also, you know, we took a deep dive into what laws are on the books currently, what happens if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, which obviously is a bit in the news as something that could happen with this current Supreme Court. So there were lots of questions that we ran through, lots of things that, of course, we'll have to continue to keep our pulse on. I think you guys are going to love this episode. And so I think without further ado, here's Mandy. My name is Mandy Landry. I am from New Orleans, Louisiana, and I am a longtime lawyer and litigator by trade. And I ran for office in 2019 for the state legislature as part of the post-Trump, ambitious, angry, fed up woman (laughs) wave. I did an Emerge America boot camp and, and I ran mostly because I was running for an open seat and there were only at the time men running for it. And it's a heavily democratic seat. And my state legislature at the time was only 18% women. It's only 20% right now. So wow. I thought, well, if no one else is going to do it, guess I'm going to have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and here I am. And it's been a whirlwind. We started my first uh, legislative session ended after a week because of COVID. So wow. a, lot, a lot has happened. Yeah, a lot wow. has happened. Oh, Talk boy. about a traumatic point to like enter the space and have yeah. things sort of flip around. What was like that like in terms of like getting used to COVID and protocol and sort of just getting your, you know, every new position, no matter what the job is, is really, you know, difficult to start off on. But what was that like kind of entering in the COVID space? It, you know, it had it. It's pluses and minuses. Like on on one hand, I hate to say pluses and minuses. On one <laughs> hand, I didn't have anything to compare it to, yeah. so it, it's not like you know this is how things were supposed to be. Right. But you're right, it was it was traumatic. I mean, I spent two months in my house just on conference calls all day, really having no idea what was going on, and people asking for information and and looking for information, and no one knew what was going on. And then we went back and we did like a quick session and so that was just trial by fire as well not really knowing what was going on had never really seen it happen everything was condensed so it's it's been it's been interesting but I'm I'm used to working under pressure so you know it's working yeah I mean like Sam said any job when you start can be stressful but 
especially any job being elected official, learning procedures and all of that. I mean, there's no training that really tells you how to do that. Like, how does that work when you (laughs) step into an elected role? There's, I mean, they don't really teach you. We had a few little quote orientations that were kind of the equivalent of uh, here's the bathroom and uh, here's your computer kind of thing. And I've said so many times, I don't, I don't know how people who aren't lawyers, at least in my state, really know a lot about what's going yeah. on because it happens so fast. And for me, with my training, I'm used to learning things fast. I can sit and read through something. I can look at an amendment and have an idea what it says from 15 years of training. Yeah. But some of these people, you know, some haven't gone to college. I mean, we have like a vet who is really smart and does something totally different with his life. We have people with all kinds of different backgrounds and I, I just think it's hard. It's really hard for everyone. Totally. I think one of our, I forget who it was, but one of our guests before who stepped into like a state legislature role actually said that same thing. It was like, they told me where the bathroom was, but that was about it. <laughs> like, love okay, that. Honestly though, about it. that is key. Both of the two, you know, post-grad jobs I've had did not tell me where the bathroom was. Especially that first <laughs> one at college, you're like so nervous. And I was like, um, like I literally think I went and I peed in a Starbucks. I'm not even kidding you because I did not want to ask, but that aside, let's talk about Louisiana a little bit. Can you give us, especially for our listeners that are not from the state, a little bit of a picture as to what the state looks like politically? Yes. So Louisiana is a very red state with blueberries. As, as I saw Mayor Woodfin, I well, I saw Mayor Woodfin speak at something several years ago, and he said his city, Birmingham, is a blueberry and a tomato soup. And I thought that was like such a good description of being, yeah, of being in like a city center in the South in a red state because New Orleans, Baton Rouge, Shreveport, maybe a few other smaller places are are pretty democratic, pretty left-leaning. You have a lot of black and brown residents. You have a lot of college-educated residents and just a lot of people who, you know, take public transportation and and are very active. And then the sort of suburban outer lying rural areas are, are very red. And Louisiana, the, the southern part of the state tends to be Catholic or, you know, in your city is kind of agnostic. And then as you get further north, it's very Baptist and um, assorted Christian and very religious mm-hmm. in a very different way than than the Catholics down here are. So you have a lot of different things going on in our state. We have had some some strange and different politics over the years. I mean, we still voted for Bill Clinton in the 90s. We have a Democratic governor right now. But the state as a whole is predominantly Republican elected officials and predominantly white men. Wow. And what are the numbers like in the state government there as far as party? Yeah, Yeah. not good. We have 105 (laughs) representatives and 21 are women. Um, about, let's see, we have maybe like 30 or so Black Caucus members. The Senate is 39 or six women. As far as statewide elected officials, they are all men. Wow. We've had one female governor, female treasurer, maybe a couple, couple of other positions. For only the third time in, or fourth time in our history, one of our con- members of Congress is a woman, Julia Letlow. She was elected after her husband, who was elected, tragically passed away from COVID. Oh, wow. 
before he took his seat. Yes. And we've had one female senator in the past, Mary Landrieu. So it's pretty much all men. It's mostly Republican. On your local level, it's different. In New Orleans, we have a ton of women elected. We have a lot of black women elected. Our mayor right now is the first woman ever a mayor of New Orleans, Latoya Cantrell. So, you know, we're moving in the cities. Actually, Baton Rouge has a female mayor too. And up until recently, Shreveport had a female mayor. So we're moving in certain parts, but not everywhere. Honestly, I think it's like a little slow everywhere and it's sometimes surprising. I'm in New York City and we just had this huge push for the primary for city council to mm-hmm. have more women on council because after this next wave, there's only going to be five. And it's like New York City, this like progressive, like little dot on the map, like that kind of idea. But like, meanwhile, we were like really headed in the wrong direction. Luckily, we're back on track and ahead mm-hmm. of the game. But it's it's always surprising. It really... Yeah. You know, a little bit crazy. But in terms of back to Louisiana, out of New York. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Let's talk Um, about the hot button issues that take on the state. You know, of course, I'm thinking, okay, there's Republican. We've got red state. I can already start thinking of like what might be top of mind. But can you run us through that? Yes. Red state conservative in almost every sense. It's heavily anti-choice. It's uh, the state very much loves guns. It our my state is very business friendly and not very helpful to the poor or to workers. We're one of those few states that technically doesn't have a minimum wage. So our minimum wage is the federal minimum, which is seven twenty five. Oh, and it's wow. you know, we have the oil industry here, which has been on the way out for a long time, but it's still very pervasive in terms of political power and, and money in the state. So we have all, we just have a lot of stuff. We also have climate change. So we have coastal erosion problems, which have been making some strange bedfellows as well, because that affects everyone Yeah, the same way. So we, we have a lot going on in our state. And, you know, most people only think of Louisiana as New Orleans. And we are, you know, the most, where I live is, is the most well-known part of the state. But we have this, this big state geographically with a lot of different people and that's what makes it so hard to pass laws statewide. Yeah. Pass laws that I would say are more progressive or more left-leaning statewide. Totally. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Well, talking about, you know, this anti-choice situation dynamic that we have in the state, what is that like being pro-choice in this very anti-choice red state? Like, how, how has that been? So that is part of the reason why I ran to... Um, I did some work as a lawyer for, we only have three abortion clinics left in the state. We had as many as like 11 a few years ago. Louisiana likes to tout itself as the most pro-life state. It's it's really more pro-birth. The state doesn't do that much for children after they're born and and doesn't really do enough to help the mothers either. But part of the reason why I decided to run is, you know, I represented the clinic and always did a lot in, in the reproductive rights world. And it was very frustrating to see not just that these terrible bills are being passed every year and often by women from other parts of the state, but that, you know, those who we considered our Democrat strongholds, in particular from Baton Rouge and New Orleans, very few of them would even stand up or say anything. And some of them would just skip votes. And so just to have someone like me there who's willing to or who knows what's going on and who is willing to push back, I think has made a difference. We haven't seen many, many bad anti-choice bills come through since I've been there. And one of the ones they got through this year, they had to sneak it through at the last minute with some bad amendments. And I tried my 
damnedest to get them to confer on it and they wouldn't and my the old group i used to work for sued the state last week over it so you know but they're also able to do it because i caught it and some of us caught it Mm -hmm. and it's on the record and we were able to present the case so just having someone willing to push back publicly even if we don't have the votes is super super important totally i mean that's across the board i'm glad you like raised that point because Regardless, like, I think people look at politics and they're like, oh, well, if I go into this very Republican state house or whatever, how, what am I going to be able to get through? And it's really just about changing the conversation. That's so important and crucial. Yes. Yeah. Educating people on issues they don't know anything about. We had an anti-trans bill this year. I had to educate so many of my members on what that meant. Just discussions about the female body, you mm-hmm. know, to have someone willing to talk about it. And so... You know, it is a long conversation and you have to keep going back. I mean, most of our big, bigger, you know, changes in the law and politics over the years, they took a while. Totally. Yeah, that's how, that's how it works, unfortunately. And mm-hmm. people are like, want those instant gratification wins. But just, again, changing that conversation and culture is a huge yep. part of politics. Well, to transition, we want to, you know, bring you into our I Have a Stupid Question segment because sure. we have a few for you here. Um, and to start off, we want to ask you, what is a trigger ban? Yes. So I want to say around 10 or a dozen states have them. So there are several states in the country that have a law on the books that basically says if Roe v. Wade, or it might say something like if, if abortion, if the state Supreme, if the U.S. Supreme Court says there is no federal or constitutional right to abortion, then abortion is immediately outlawed in our state. So it's not, it's a law that doesn't currently do anything right now, but if the Supreme Court overturned Roe or said abortion is now a state issue, it would automatically be illegal in the state of Louisiana. They, they don't just have it a draft waiting, they pass it. It's sitting there waiting. And there, I wish I had the number, I think it's around 10, but it might be over that by now that already have uh, a trigger ban. Wow. That's so interesting too, because I feel like probably a lot of people also don't realize that like, oh, if... Rose banned on a federal level, then it's across the across the land in quite a few states. And I mean, but, I yeah, think, it is up to um, the states ultimately. Yeah, and us being so far south geographically, I think if Roe is overturned to a large extent, it's looking like the closest state you could get an abortion to Louisiana is Illinois, which is really far. Wow. Or That's feasibly insane. get one. Yeah, like some states might offer it up to like eight or 10 weeks, which is like basically nothing. I mean, you know, all the six week bans were to are essentially a total ban. Yeah. I think you had that question coming up later. Yeah, I was going to say this is perfect. <laughs> but that's time okay. That's okay. To ask what is a near total abortion ban? Yeah. So some states will call it a heartbeat bill or they'll say it outlaws abortion at six weeks. So for most people, you don't know that you're pregnant until you miss a period. And that happens around four weeks, five weeks, something, maybe six weeks, kind of just depending on like how your period's going, you know, when conception happened. And so to outlaw abortion at six weeks pregnant, it would basically outlaw it almost immediately when you realize it. And most people who realize it, you know, it's an at-home test or they have a feeling or they're late on their period and they're like, okay, I'm late. I'm irregular. Maybe it'll come next week. And in those states, if it's a six-week ban, it would be too late. Mm-hmm. There's also this false narrative that there's a heartbeat. There's no heart when a fetus is that small. There's just the little 
connector from the fetus to the mom where the blood flows through and it does, you know, send blood through, but a heart has not been developed. So there's just a lot of misinformation and exaggeration. And, you know, saying that abortion is legal until six weeks means it is not accessible to 99.9% of people. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Yeah, it's very sneaky. It's very oh, sneaky. So, oh, yes, it is. Oh, and that yes, marketing around that, my God, like herpes built. Like, meanwhile, like none to be mm-hmm. found. Yeah. Little guilt tactics, which I feel like really kind of rolls into the next question, too. So this is like the perfect dalliance that we've got going on. What is, <laughs> <laughs> what is biased counseling? So we don't use that term here, but I think I know what you mean. I think you're referring to crisis pregnancy centers. So there are these things called crisis pregnancy centers. We have a lot of them in Louisiana and they get tax money. I pay my taxes and it goes to crisis pregnancy centers. Crisis pregnancy center is essentially you walk in, a lot of young women in particular think it's an abortion clinic and you walk in and they don't tell you they don't offer abortions, but they um, give you quote counseling that tries to talk you out of ending the pregnancy, tries to talk you into, and some of it I think is heartfelt and religious. People want to help someone who is in a tough situation and show that you do have options. Adoption is an option. Abortion is an option. You know, keeping it is an option. Like there are options, but the problem with these centers is that they aren't upfront about not providing abortion for the most part. And what they do, and I talked to some young women this has happened to, is they, they don't tell you that, especially you know if you're a person who isn't aware, they tell you to keep coming back and coming back and coming back. And the idea is that you keep coming back to the point that it's too late in your state to get an abortion, or you know it's too expensive because the longer you go in a pregnancy, you start hitting limits. Like I think Louisiana's I should know this, 22 or 24 weeks, some seats, it's a little lower. Once you get past the first trimester, it becomes more expensive because you generally have to have the surgical procedure and not prescription. Actually, prescriptions only up to eight weeks. So it's just, it's designed, the bias counseling or crisis pregnancy centers is designed to prevent you from having an abortion and they get tax money to do it. This just brought up like an entirely different question for me. Sure. What happens, okay, so say you're a resident of Louisiana, right? And Mm -hmm. you're pregnant, you want to have an abortion, and you drive to, say, Illinois. Illinois has an available center, and then you get an abortion there. Are you, like, able to do that legally? Are you able to, like, leave the state and technically get an abortion elsewhere? Or because you're a resident of Louisiana, could you be, like, charged with something or anything? So I think if you're over 18, you can go do whatever you want anywhere. If you're under 18, there might be some restrictions. Because if you're under 18, and so anyone under 18 can access an abortion, you either need parental support, or you have to go through a process called judicial bypass. It's in all 50 states, and it's what my former colleagues sued my state on. If you don't want to tell your parents, or you don't have parents, you can go to a judge and get permission to do it. I think if you were a minor, you would have to do it in the state that you reside in. Interesting. Wow. I think. Um, other states may have different rules, but when you get to uh, under 18, there gets to be like a little trickiness to it because there are a lot of rules about transporting minors across state lines mm. for a variety of different things. Yeah. So if you're under 18 seeking abortion care, I would try to find out as much as possible about it in your own state. But yeah, I mean, a lot of women travel to different states for abortions for many reasons. Uh, One reason is if you are seeking a third term abortion, there's only like a couple of doctors in the whole country who will do it 
Even if you have a life-threatening medical condition, you often cannot find a doctor in your own city who will do it because they're so afraid of the political ramifications that you have to fly somewhere else. I think Colorado is where most women go. And if you do go somewhere, if you go out of the state to get an abortion, I don't know if if you know this, I'm just curious. How how do you pay for that? Like, how does that, do you have to pay for it out of pocket if you do that? Yep. So you still, Medicaid will not cover any abortion care. I don't think that... Private insurance is regulated state by state. So other states, probably New York, has insurance companies that will cover abortion care. I don't think Louisiana does at all for a lot of reasons. So some states, if you have private insurance, you may have insurance to pay for it. But for the most part, if you are seeking to end a pregnancy, you're going to have to pay for it out of pocket. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Which is ridiculous because it's just a medical procedure like anything else. Okay. Next question. Last one here. What is a mandatory delay? I think different states use different terminology, but it's all the same thing. So in Louisiana, you can't just go in a lot of states. You can't just go into the clinic that morning, get checked, have your you know ultrasound, whatever, and then get your medicine or get your abortion. You have to go back. I believe y'all are, you're all catching me on some of the numbers. I think it's 72. <laughs> I think it's 72 hours here. It depends on the state. Some states it's 24 hours waiting period, 48, 72. And the people who push it forward say, oh, we want to give you a chance to think about your decision. Well, if you have already made that appointment, you have you been thinking decision. about it. Yeah. For, you made the decision. Uh, and what happens, it's another barrier to access. You have to take off work twice. You have to find someone to watch your kids because the majority of women who have abortions already have a child. If you live far away, like if you live in Lake Charles, Louisiana, you have to drive to Baton Rouge or New Orleans that's hours, three to five hours away. So you have to do that twice. take off work, kids, hotel, maybe car, all that stuff. And so these waiting periods, although they claim to be, you know, to help the person who's pregnant, it's really designed to throw up so many barriers that you just, you know, give up and and don't have an abortion and you end up, you end up having a child and are more likely to end up in poverty or in my state, uh, dead potentially. Yeah. It's very dangerous. Yeah. What are some of those like mortality rates and stuff in Louisiana? Yeah, we have... It's usually the first or second highest maternal mortality and then first or second highest uh, maternal morbidity. And so those things kind of go together where there's there's dying in childbirth or as a result of childbirth. And then there's complications that could lead to where that where that happens during pregnancy or a year later um, that lead to it. And that and that's a problem nationwide. And one of my bills this year that hopefully we'll be able to finalize in the next year would be to extend Medicaid to a year postpartum. So Medicaid is available to, to more people who are pregnant than uh, the normal income requirements, right? And in the latest ARPA funding, they, there's funding there to extend it from 60 days to a year. Yes, they kick women off Medicaid at 60 days after you have a baby if you don't meet the other requirements about 20% of women. And so now there's money available and it just makes sense. I mean, it's it's like such better financial sense to offer preventative care. So we're trying to do that in Louisiana because our numbers are so dismal. And if you are a black woman in Louisiana, you're four times more likely uh, to die in childbirth or have uh, severe health problems. So, you know, it's a real problem and it, it, it keeps hitting the same people over and over again. And mm-hmm. We're trying to find some ways to fix it. And definitely having access to care for a longer period of time is is one of the best ways. Mm -hmm. 
That is insane. Those rates. I, it's really bad. I know it's really bad and it's really sad. Oh my goodness. Is there, I mean, I would have to think that the male dominated, you know, state government might have something to do with this like lack of movement. Yeah, kind of. Like I said, there's some bad abortion laws we have that were passed by women yeah. for supposedly religious reasons. I think in general government in any state that is predominantly men sees issues dealing with women and children it's like a niche issue and it's just not i mean women are half your population kids are so important i mean if you don't invest in education and child care then you have a next generation of problems right. and i think i think like you know traditionally men see that as not their problem not their issue and and they're starting to realize you know the the effects of poverty it's poverty usually is the problem and the effects of poverty you end up with a large part of your population you know imprisoned or unhealthy unable to work it's just it's a lot of problems totally a never-ending sort of routine you know it is a a continuous fight but in terms of just going specifically to louisiana What are the bands that are active in the state? What are sort of the limitations that you guys have? So state law has been very good at passing laws on abortion clinics to limit access. The limits on patients are, like I said, a waiting period, the ultrasound requirement. You can't can't get a prescription for abortion medication, you know, from another state or through telehealth, you have to go in. There's requirements like that. If you go into a clinic and you're a patient, you have to fill out this much paperwork and give them so much information. But what the state has been successful at is passing lots of restrictions on clinics. And to the point, like they're bizarre. I mean, I happen to live down the street from the clinic in New Orleans totally by accident. And it's in this little tiny building, it's tiny little brick building it's small and old and they need a new building they if they try to move to a new building the state will not just automatically grant their license they have to go they lose the license they have to go through the whole process and you know they're not going to get a new one i mean it's requirements like that it's administrative requirements on the clinics and they they make them fill out so much paperwork that of course you're gonna have more errors we have more paperwork you have to hire more staff that aren't providing health care they're doing administrative functions the hot you know some of the hospital oh a lot of the hospitals won't allow a doctor who performs abortions with admitting privileges and then you have these states like mine that try to require a doctor who performs abortions to have admitting privileges at the hospital which you don't need if you have an emergency you call 911 or you go to the hospital that's right what happens they say oh we need to protect women you need to have admitting privileges no you don't it makes it so that that doctor has to get admitting privileges pay for it cost a bunch of money and a lot of these hospitals don't want to have a doctor who performs abortion on their staff because of political issues and also a lot of our hospitals are religious based Mm -hmm. it is a complex web that the other side is constantly thinking of ways to limit this access Mm -hmm. so texas lost a bunch of their clinics i think it was admitting privileges that you have to have admitting privileges within x miles of the clinic well texas is so big right that i think they lost a third of their clinics and like that or why we're down to three as well so when we used to have 11 you were probably within an hour of a clinic 
now that there's three, you could be four hours away. And so there's transportation. So while that's a limit on the clinic, it takes you that much longer to get there. Yeah. Transportation's expensive. You have to go back twice. So whatever they do to limit the clinic or close the clinics, it makes it that much harder for the clinics that remain. I mean, if you call the clinic down the street for me, I think there's a you know one to two week wait to even get seen for your first appointment. Wow. Jeez. Yeah, it's really really time sensitive and worrisome because for most women who want to enter pregnancy, they want it done now. Yeah. <laughs> like oh, I yeah. made up my mind. I want it done now. I don't want to come back in three weeks. What I want it hell? over. This is yeah. so crazy. I mean, Sam and I are it's both so just crazy. like jaw on the floor. Like I'm in California. She's in New York. Like, I'm sure there's just like around every corner options for women. And yeah. it's just like crazy to think that you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's so different in some of these other states. It's just like mind blowing. Can't. It, it's, it's all about control and fear and, and sort of, you know, control through religion. It's, it's really scary. Yeah. So there's also no allowance for residents to use private insurance to cover an abortion in the state. So how is, how is that possible if, if it doesn't impact like taxpayer money? I mean, like I said, they still pass laws on the clinic, you know, under the Department of Health guidelines, even though no money's gone towards it. They, you know, there's still a lot of suits with, so Planned Parenthood in Louisiana does not provide abortions in part because they've had problems getting a license. And also, I think it's also just so they know their clinic that provides so many resources can stay open. Yeah. But, you know, there's always arguments made in states that Planned Parenthood provides it. They, there's their clinic and then there's the abortion clinic. And they say, look, these are separate entities, separate money, separate everything. The other side says, well, if you're getting tax money, Medicaid for a breast cancer screening, then that's money you're saving. You can spend on abortions. I mean, that's not really how money works, but that's what people say happens. So, you know, they can put, I don't know how they can put restrictions on a medical procedure like this, because there's no such restrictions on like kidney surgery, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy how just politics can do can do yeah. wonders. Yeah, something only having to do with women and very personal and 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 it is a big deal for a lot of women. It's not for some, but it just makes it that much more traumatic. Definitely. Oh, and speaking of personal, we also noticed that there are limits on birth control. That there's no guarantee that pharmacies will also fill those prescriptions in the state of Louisiana. Is this sort of in the same category? How is this allowed is it kind of looked at as like all like yeah what is the culture around like birth control too like in a state like louisiana i saw that question and i don't know quite as much about that i know there's a lot of the flight fights you see nationally happen here about can you require an insurance company to cover birth control what if they're religiously affiliated what if the pharmacist doesn't want to fill it so stupid i don't think there's major problems with that but you know we still don't have the option to get a year's supply at once it's still not over the counter um they make it a little bit harder a little bit more expensive for sure but one problem we do have that it has been so hard to get movement on is comprehensive sex education which does include education and birth control we just have a lot of younger people in this state who literally don't understand how you get pregnant who don't understand the mechanics because no one's ever explained it to them. Oh my God. Um, and they may have, especially for younger, 
I know <laughs> for way younger women, you know, when you first get your period, I mean, I didn't really know what was happening for a yeah. long time and, and what the dates and deadlines and, and what literally was happening. And when you're very young like that, you are extremely fertile and you're not regular and, and you're not tracking it. So, you know, when we say sex education, it's not teaching people like how to have sex, which I think is what yeah. some people think. It's literally, this is what your body is it's doing right. and this is what can happen. And here's a proper terminology. And it's just been impossible to get much of that passed in the state. It, you, this Schools can opt out and parents can opt out and religious reasons. I'll teach my own kids well, but I mean, you're not. No, I know. It's like, I mean, I think that's a problem across the country, yeah. obviously, I'm sure. And, and you know, more religious states. But yeah, I mean, I feel like I find things out even now to this day. I'm like, oh, that's yeah. the thing in my body? Okay, interesting. <laughs> the men don't know. One of my colleagues passed this year, we called it, have you seen it in other states, a repeal of the pink tax? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, diapers, adult and baby, and then menstrual products yeah. in most states, well, in my state, has sales tax on it. And that's something that only women have to pay or families have to pay. It's literally something you have to buy like you could not not have a tampon and I had a lot of interesting conversations with some of my male colleagues who from the mechanics of a tampon to why is this prejudicial why do you have to buy them yeah why do why do you need so many like like men are so easy to trick about (laughs) like the female body too like all the tiktoks and stuff that goes viral where it's like yeah some girl like put on one of those face masks that makes like peels off and like she Uh went to her boyfriend and was like look like i'm i'm getting my period like my skin's peeling and he's like what that happens she's like yeah like look and she like peels off like a whole chunk of it it's just like a face mask so ridiculous (laughs) one of my younger colleagues who i'm friends with and the younger ones are generally better. They're more, you know, knowledgeable. And he was kind of shaking his head about the old men. He's like, I do have to ask something. He's like, what is the string for? And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my, oh my God. You oh, date women. No. You have relationships with women. I was like, how do you think we get it out? Like, just yeah, like, it's like magic. It's just like, yes, you put a spell. Boom. It's. I don't know. And he's like, this is probably like the top, one of the top three, like understanding. And he does. And the fact that he felt comfortable enough to ask me was wonderful. Love that. Because uh, most of them probably wouldn't. But yeah. I mean, and yeah, I guess from my point of view, I don't know. I'm glad you're having those conversations. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, yeah. still like out there. I know we're making fun of What's men. What's like, for? We also, you know, it's not fully their fault either that they don't know this stuff. It's He probably it's just... never... Yeah, societal issue and we need to also yep. encourage these men to ask more questions no no matter how dumb they are no stupid questions no because probably no one explained to him exactly. and I don't yeah know. it is it was funny though yeah oh, oh my goodness well that absolutely kills me and i'm gonna be <laughs> laughing about that for days to come but to round it all out what is it like working with a Democratic governor that is also weirdly anti-choice? And also, like, how does that happen? It's very hard. It's very, 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 very hard. His reasoning is religious reasoning. My <laughs> feeling, and a lot of a lot of women feel that the first time he ran, so he and his wife had a story that they had a pregnancy where they said that 
the doctor told them, forget what uh, something that the child had, I forget what it was, oral palsy or something. And they were given the option to terminate and they said, absolutely not. And so she had a pregnancy, uh, she had a complete pregnancy and they have an adult daughter now and she's healthy and all this. And they, they kind of told that story. And to me, how it was presented was, you know, this is our choice. We chose to do this. Right. So that's great. That's wonderful. Since then, he has signed every last terrible, awful anti-abortion bill that has gone through. It, you know, it's bad. He did expand Medicaid in the state. You know, he has some other policies that are great and that, you know, are, are more traditional Democratic policies for sure. He's been great during COVID, pushing a mask mandate, trying to keep everyone safe, trying to keep his Republican, you know, colleagues in line. But it is exceptionally hard to have to deal with that. I'm sure. I mean, geez. I'm sure it helps him leverage, you know, politically with, you know, his Republican colleagues. Like, look, I, I'm, I'm like yeah. you in this way. Like, you know. And that was kind of the narrative yeah. of how he, he won, you know, both were close races. He presented as a conservative, white male Democrat. He was in the military. Um, he's very intelligent. Mm-hmm. He's very talented. He's he's pretty calm. And, you know, there's no, like, black sheep in his, in his yeah, background. Yeah. And he luckily also ran against two pretty terrible candidates, which helped. And he just kind of eked it out. So, you know, it's good. But it's been very hard because for a lot of topics such as reproductive care and other things, there has been no movement in the good direction and and there's been some steps backwards. Do you think he would have won if he was pro-choice? Ooh, that's Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, or it's not even so much if he was pro-choice, if he was any less anti-abortion. Probably not. Yeah. Huh. We'll never know. Very interesting stuff. This has been very eye-opening in so many ways. We're, you're our first Louisiana guest, so yay, love that. Great, great. <laughs> but before we go, can you kind of give everyone listening like a place where they can find you, if you have social media, where they can kind of keep track of everything you're doing? Yes. So again, it's Mandy Landry, M-A-N-D-I-E-L-A-N-D-R-Y. I uh, have a common last name for Louisiana, and our crazy attorney attorney general has the same last name you can find me all my social media i kept it as vote landry v-o-t-e-l-a-n-d-r-y i am most active on instagram and twitter facebook has become difficult for everyone to use but i'm there too but i you know i started early when i ran and there was a lot of stuff around new abortion laws when i ran and so i i sort of got a following on social media mostly women through that. And I still have so many women who reach out to me from different parts of the state, women like y'all who reach out and ask me to speak to, to, you know, to Zooms, to classes, to whatever, love speaking to groups. I love letting people know, you know, it is possible you can run for office if you're not wealthy or connected. It is so much harder and you have to start early and you have to have a lot of ground support. You can't start late. You can't just expect it to show up. You have to be working every day. It is very possible to do it, but you really have to pour everything into it. And I really like talking to, to first-time candidates because I was a first-time candidate, and I had no idea what I was doing. Yes. 
Love that. Well, love that advice mm -hmm. too. And thank you so much for coming on. We hope to have you on some more, honestly, get to know Louisiana a little more, see what's next. But yeah, thank you again. Yep. It was great. And keep your eye on, I'll let you know what happens with the suit my former colleagues filed last week. Yes. It has to do with judicial bypass for minors and we'll see what happens with that. Yes. Hopefully we keep can get that law it. overturned. Yes, definitely. Keep us posted. <laughs> All right, you guys, top stories. Today's been a day. We're recording this on Tuesday. And I mean, for me, it was like early morning. Woke up to kind of two big news stories today. And we got some doozies here. So we sh should really just get into it. Don't you oh, think? Oh, hell yeah. Well, you guys, I know it's been a long time coming. And it still isn't over. But for your infrastructure segment of the week, we have a big, big update because the U.S. Senate passed the bipartisan $1 trillion infrastructure bill Ooh. on Tuesday. Okay. Bipartisan bill. I mean, bill. <gasps> bipartisan bill. There it is. Okay. You guys. <laughs> so on Tuesday, the Senate passed the $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure deal, a significant win for President Biden, and the first step in his top legislative priority. So the senators voted 69 to 30 on the bill, which was spearheaded by a bipartisan group of senators. 69. <laughs> Why was I thinking the same thing? It never I gets off. I tried. I held it back. I mean, you were pretty delayed on that one, but... I was, like, letting it toil I'm glad. I'm glad you brought... I'm glad you let it out. I, I needed it out, too. Okay, so 69 to 30, and then this <laughs> bipartisan group <laughs> of senators was led by... Senator Kristen Sinema of Arizona, Rob Portman of Ohio, and then 19 GOP senators voted with all Democrats to pass this legislation. So the bill is now headed to the House, though, where it faces an uncertain future and skepticism from progressives. So Speaker Nancy Pelosi has vowed she won't take it up until the Senate passes the second part of it, which is a sweeping $3.5 trillion spending package that includes Democrats' top priorities, which we'll get into this in a moment. But the Senate's passage of the bipartisan measure on Tuesday gives a major victory for Biden and the centrist-minded group that led the legislation. The bipartisan deal includes, again, like roughly $550 billion in new funding, making it substantially smaller than the $2.6 trillion proposed by Biden earlier this year initially. It includes money for new investments, for infrastructure projects like roads, bridges, broadband. According to Congressional Budget Office, CBO is the short for that. Analysis, the bill would add $256 billion to the deficit, though negotiators argue that hard infrastructure projects, hard is in quotations here, pay for themselves over time and that CBO didn't give them the full credit of their work. But you guys, it passed the Senate bipartisan bell. We'll ring it again. And then we'll obviously keep you updated on what happens in the House. But this next story kind of gives you a better idea of kind of what's happening with that. But yeah, you guys, we're slowly making it out of this infrastructure I mean tunnel. Look, it's not all roses and butterflies and rainbows and happiness and glitter over here yet, but that, you know, is kind of dependent on what happens with this next step. So the Senate Democrats have unveiled a $3.5 trillion budget for social issues, climate efforts, et cetera. So immediately, oh my God, immediately after 
the vote that we just talked about, which is the $1 trillion infrastructure bill. Once that concluded, senators pushed ahead with a follow-up, you know, like kind of like we're circling back here kind of moment, trillion dollar spending package that Democrats plan to pass without Republican votes. So we will not probably be uh, not bipartisan bell again on that. But the Senate Democrats really took a first step on Tuesday towards passing it later this year without that support. And the Senate voted 50 to 49 to take up a budget resolution that includes instructions on how to draft the spending package and green lights it not gaslights it, green lights it, to bypass the 60-vote filibuster this fall. No Republicans voted to start the budget debate. Shocker! So Senate Majority Leader, in case you don't know his name, Chuck Schumer, expects also to have the votes to pass the budget resolution laying the groundwork for $3.5 trillion that he spent on health care, climate change, and other Biden priorities that Democrats will almost certainly have to pass over Republican objections. They object to everything. What they don't stop. They don't stop. Won't stop, can't stop, you know, that move. And a maneuver known as budget reconciliation. So that means the budget cannot be stalled in the Senate by a filibuster, and it does not need the president's signature. The budget calls for reconciliation. That's not how you pronounce that word. Reconciliation. Lord help us all. This girl has got speaking issues. Tells certain committees to change spending, revenues, deficits, or the debt limit by specific amounts. So... The budget outlines expanding Medicare coverage to dental, vision, hearing benefits, and lowering the program's eligibility age below its current age of 65, though this age reduction would be costly and is considered a long shot to survive. So, you know, sometimes you just gotta like risk it for the biscuit here. So the children's tax credit, which is expanded during the pandemic, you know, to provide millions of families with $300 monthly checks would be extended beyond its current 2022 expiration date and look, no one likes an expiration date, whether it's milk, eggs, or monthly checks. So just saying. Other tax breaks for some low-earning workers and for childcare would also be renewed within this little situation. Unveiled the same day, the United Nations warned of a code red for humanity. So like, excuse me while I like go get my prima because holy anxiety attack. But <laughs> you basically- percent like, I'm like, get me every, I'm gonna literally- chug the daily i'm gonna take like the whole bottle between that and then i'm gonna take a bath in the night red for humanity code red for humanity Um, one more time code red for humanity i'm like laughing because i'm so depressed (laughs) we're about to be dinosaurs okay which like Yikes. Like, I want to say they're being dramatic, but, like, they're not. Yeah, absolutely And, not. like, at all. And basically this code red was called because of rapid climate heating. And the fiscal plan that we're talking about would unsheath. <laughs> <laughs> why does that just make me feel like it's talking about a dick? Like, why is that, like, circumcision <laughs> to me? <laughs> I'm going to vomit. Wait, 100%. Like, it's literally, like... Snip, snip, snip. <laughs> you can't aim. Okay, okay. What, what does unsheath mean? I really can only think of it in terms of circumcision. Like layout? Let me, let me just... Okay. It's literally circumcision. Draw or pull out from its sheath or covering. I hate it here. <laughs> I absolutely hate it here. <laughs> you were right. Wow. That's some intuition. You should be yeah. proud. Okay, okay. Um, So uncover. So basically what's the situation here is that this fiscal plan would uncover 
a vast effort to move the U.S. towards clean energy. I feel like this feels like a constant promise with a lot of <laughs> lack of follow through. But regardless, so include a new tax on imported fuels that spew and fly carbon emissions out of every and anything. Federal aid for clean energy developers' investments in low polluting vehicles. Well, moving on to the other really just groundbreaking story from today, aka Tuesday, aka yesterday, if you're listening to this on Wednesday. New York Governor Cuomo resigns after sexual harassment findings. So big update from last week's story when Governor Cuomo was like, imagine I'm not leaving. Yeah, here we are. You know, he was faced with mounting legal pressures and demands for his departure from President Joe Biden and others. And New York Governor Andrew Cuomo resigned on Tuesday following an inquiry that found he sexually harassed 11 women, which is a lot. And in a televised 20-minute address, Cuomo, who is 63, said his resignation would take effect in 14 days a startling downfall for a man once seen as a possible U.S. presidential contender. And also <sighs> once known as Zaddy Cuomo mm. and made women everywhere Cuomo-sexual. What a turn of events. What a turn in, you know, the culture. Cultural moment. Oh, yeah. But here we are. Cuomo, who had served since 2011 as governor of the fourth most populous U.S. state, Cuomo made the announcement a week after New York Attorney General Letitia James released the results of a five-month independent investigation that concluded he had engaged in conduct that violated U.S. and state laws. Cuomo again denied any wrongdoing, though he said he, he accepted full responsibility for offending the women through what he characterized as ill-conceived attempts to be affectionate or humorous. Classic classic excuse so lieutenant governor kathy hochel who is 62 and a democrat from western new york will take over as governor of the state until the end of cuomo's term in december 2022 as outlined in the state's constitution and she will become the first woman to hold the post and be the first female governor of new york sam I know you've been scratching, itching. What are your two cents? What are your thoughts? What is your analysis as a true New Yorker? Well, besides that I literally screamed, holy shit, motherfucker, um, (laughs) at the top of my lungs when I, like, found out this news as it was, like, breaking or whatever in, like, literally Chelsea. Like, the thing is, it was also New York, so I'm acting like anyone even thought that was weird. Like, no, no one turned around. But I was like, oh, whoops. But in terms of really my analysis, I honestly am shocked. And, like, this is sad that I'm shocked. But, like, I was having conversations this week, this weekend about it. And, like, he's gotten away with scandals before. He has this reputation as a bully. He just pushes through scandals until people forget about them. Has a good sort of PR, you know, wagon that pushes things out again and again. And creates a distraction until there's something better to sort of play with. But I think what really brought him down this time, if I'm really thinking about it, is there isn't really a great distraction right now. Like, yeah, I know you could say COVID's a big distraction. Like if you think about when Trump was in, in, in office, there was a scandal every other moment. You couldn't even, 
You could have yeah. 10 scandals a day. Like, you couldn't totally. keep up. Well, I think this goes back to the conversation of being honestly just in this Biden administration and not having, like you said, like to worry about the Trump scandals or people like be having to be so stern on, you know, siding with Democrats or mm-hmm. party lines against all other, you know, odds because we don't have a psychopath in the white house so we're able to hold people accountable regardless of what party or whatever the other thing though is like this is this is obviously also just a legitimate like legal investigation that came through and he could face legal repercussions as well so it's very legitimate it's not just like you know a little pop culture scandal moment like he could face some major shit from this so i think it was yeah the perfect storm of just you know, people paying attention and not having to, you know, make excuses for him just because he's a Democrat or whatever. And then totally. also a legitimate investigation that was necessary and successful. And now we have the first female governor in New I York. That's also something I love about this story is that, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's it was such a, a revenge moment in a weird totally way. Totally. irony. I don't know. Such a Me Too moment that ended up putting a woman in power because a white male in power decided to abuse his power against women. And now he lost his power to a woman. It's amazing. Like literally love it. I'm really excited to see what she does. It is an office that is up for, you know, voting in 2022. And so I'm curious what the rumblings are going to be there in terms of who steps up to the plate, who's actually running. And I, I honestly don't have a great pulse on that right now. If anyone does and wants to give us the 411, let us know. Like another moment to slide into our DM, send us an email. Let's hop, let's hop on a call. Let's chat about it. Yeah, 100%. But I guess we, we have one more story, don't we? We do. This story gave me an amazing clapback that was captured on camera, but we'll, we'll get into this. So basically Biden is seeking to support Florida schools that are threatened by Governor DeSantis over masks. And this has been like a drama and a saga. It's the stuff that you just can't believe is real until like, I was on the way to a, a meeting the other day and I was going past City Hall in New York and there was an entire anti-vax rally going on, signs galore. I took some pics which I will definitely have up on our social at some point so you guys will see what I was like witnessing. Also recommending like look over at photographer Meld Cole's work. He is he's always in the thick of it. Into the thick of it. But like <laughs> nonetheless, like he really is and he is like phenomenal and his work is just like blows my mind all the time. But he was there capturing everything and it's just it's eye-opening and so wild and I can't believe this is what we're dealing with. But nonetheless, what we are dealing with in this situation is Biden administration is reviewing basically how it can get money to Florida school districts if the state's governor, aka the male version of Corella DeVille, Ron DeSantis, makes good on threats to withhold pay from school leaders who require masks for students. Like imagine being like like you're Satan. You're literally you're literally Satan. So basically like let's like take money away from teachers and school administrators who already get paid shit. Like literally. Like I 
I could rant. I could rant. I'm going to hold back in this moment. We'll see if I can get through the rest of the story without ranting. Yeah. I doubt it. I doubt it. But you we'll, can do we'll it. try. In this effort, most of Florida's schools basically reopened this week at full capacity, which is a whole other can of worms. DeSantis, a Republican, in case you guys did not already gather that, has warned the state could level financial penalties to districts that mandate masks. But many school officials and public health experts, shockingly, say masks are needed to protect students and teachers. And guess who, like, obviously agrees with this? President Joe Biden. So White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki has told reporters over this that basically the administration is looking at whether it can use unspent COVID-19 relief funds to combat any of the pay cuts that DeSantis is trying to throw these teacher administrators, et cetera, away. Like, ew. But hopefully there's something they can do. I love a good loophole and explanation. So... Let me know. This has like been a situation for a while, but it's only getting worse. Hospitalizations have hit record levels. Despite that, he is still kind of continuing to bow down at Trump's feet. That is the most appropriate term in my very inappropriate mind that I can come up with. So he's trying to make good on his Trumpian promises, potential funding, all of that stuff. And I'll give him this, he's consistent. Consistent. Well, so, let's hear about the clapback. Oh, the clapback. Oh my god, you know what we should do? What? Is play it. Oh, yes. Let me. Do you remember what it was on? Using your words about don't be in the way, and he's saying, I am in the way to block too much interference from the federal government. Your response, Mr. President? <laughs> <laughs> It's really just different by him. It's just... That could have been, honestly, like a Sleepy Joe moment. Like, he genuinely didn't know who she was That's actually about. a great point. <laughs> or it was the most quick-witted, one of the best, you know, political moments of his I, administration. But I'm going to choose to put it in the category of clapback. Yeah, me too. And live a happy life. But, I mean... What a what a way to go. Biden, we stand with that. Yeah, yeah, I know. And if you guys didn't also see on our story when Chuck Schumer just completely walked in front of Mitch McConnell heading up to the podium and cut him off, it was tear-jerking. I have watched that video upwards of 60 times. 60. I mean, I'm not lying. It couldn't. It just... It's there. I mean, who, who directed and it's that? Hilarious. Is that Spielberg? Like, literally, who directed that? I can't. But, you guys, that is our episode today. Those are the top stories. And, yeah, I mean, I think we always want to push joining our brand ambassador program. We have a call on Monday with everyone. So, if you want to sign up, Definitely go apply, and we can try and get you in there before that so you can meet everyone. But again, it's just a fun community of like-minded chicks. And speaking of, the chat is going off right now. Like, if you're not in the in the program right now, you're you're missing out. You're missing out. And it's it's just it's a good time. That's literally all it is. And if you also are interested in working in politics, getting more involved, we can help you with all of those things at the Brand Ambassador Program. So link to the description of what the brand ambassador program entails as well as the sign up form is in the description for this episode so go check it out yeah 
And just to tease it like a little bit, we do have our next networking event coming in mid-September. So like Maddie said, if you are interested in working in politics, learning more about how to and all the many, many avenues that you can take within the field, this is definitely going to be an event you don't want to miss. It's virtual, so it doesn't matter. You can be in Alaska. You could be studying abroad in Taiwan right now doesn't matter you will be able to join so we look forward to seeing your applications yes send them in send them in also it's been a while since we've checked in and asked if anyone has sent you know this podcast along to any friends you know have you gone on your friend's phone and subscribed have you stolen your mom's phone your cousin's phone subscribe Mm -hmm. there if not you should and you should also leave a review on all of their phones as well or just you know get them hooked on girl in the gub like you are and you know the reviews will come naturally so like subscribe follow on instagram and social media and all of that and we'll be talking to you all next wednesday Woo! Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.